Start again, start again, begin. Start again, everyone. You're listening to Caterpillar Goo. I'm Rod Hayden. Hi, I'm Flora. Hi, Flora. Hey, Rod. Today we're hearing from Clay Boykin. Clay founded the Circles of Men project. Circles of Men? Hmm, sounds a bit sinister. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not very sinister. It's actually pretty cool. How did you hear about it? I heard about it from Christopher Howell, who uh, we interviewed a while back. He did the yoga hike, and I was talking to him about missing camaraderie with men after not being involved with my stay-at-home dad's group anymore. And he said, you should check out this group. And so I did, and I've been going maybe once a month for a year or so. Cool. What does spirituality mean to you? I'm not a very religious guy. So spirituality for me is more personal growth, personal development, how to be a better human being more than God or Jesus or church. So do you think your belief aligns with this um, fellowship? Yeah, we talk a lot about topics like compassion, empathy. Clay tends to put out one topic each week. He'll send out a video or an article just as a jumping off point, something we can start talking about. And a lot of it, I find that a lot of times it fits in perfectly with whatever I'm thinking about or going through in my life already anyway. The topic this last week was authenticity and it fit in with things that I was thinking about with my family and um, how I relate to people. And it just, it seems like every week that I go, the topic is just, it fits right in. And that that was a topic once too, synchronicity. It's a place for men to practice relating on a deeper level, which we don't get an opportunity to do a lot out in the real world. Right, men don't get opportunities to have these kind of deep conversations about feelings and vulnerability that I mentioned um, the last podcast. I think women, when we get together, we talk a lot about these things, relationships and how uh, our pa- relationship with our parents, our lovers, um, siblings. Uh, I don't think men get a chance to do that. Clay talks some about slightly more than half of the visitors to the website are women. And a lot of that may be driven by partners of men looking for resources for their men where they can go learn to talk like that and then come back to the relationship and, and, and relate in a different way. It's a safe place for men to practice. Being more genuine, being more emotional, being more connected with themselves and other people. You told me a few times when you went to those sessions, um, it brought you to tears. So it seems like these are heavy topics that you talk about and you do experience a safe place where you are able to express it. And I think you also mentioned towards the end when you hold hands, there's this energy that you feel that makes your hair stand up at the back of your neck. Tell me more about that. Yeah, we connect on a deep level sometimes. Sometimes it goes very deep. We get into very personal stuff. People tell stories of what's going on in their life, things that they're going through, and it can get very emotional. And sometimes it's very shallow. A lot of, you know, just men humor stuff. And yeah, at the end, it the closing is kind of everybody stands in a circle and I don't know, I always have, I always feel slightly uncomfortable with, you know, God stuff, but somebody prays us out, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel heavy. It doesn't feel quite so churchy. Like I, I have a hard time with that, but it's, I do get this sense of energy most of the times that we do it where I can just feel this electricity going up my spine. If I had any hair, my hair would be standing up. It's really powerful. It's a, it's a great experience. What about you? Did you have a churchy experience growing up? Are you still involved in the church? What, what's your sense of spirituality these days? When I was younger, I used to love going to church. Uh, it was just... Um holy experience for me and I remember my first communion I actually felt like being touched by God I 
loved going to church with my family, my aunt, especially during the holidays, all the songs we would learn and practice together, the community, church community. I loved it. I think as a teenager, I've started questioning my faith, my belief. Um, I think like many people do, when things go wrong in their life, they kind of stop believing in God. And I guess I went through that as well. Um, then I stopped going to church, but I still continue to go once in a while with my family because um, my dad is religious. But then I found my way back around to spirituality again, but not to church, but my own way of practicing and connecting with the spirit, which I feel, I what I believe is inside of us and outside of us in nature. So for me, spirituality is just connecting with um, that universal love feeling, uh, the peace, the calm, and gratitude, going out in nature, just being present. I, and I do um, pray like when I say, you know, dear God, I, I think I'm focusing more on the energy of the universe. So I see my spirituality is more towards, I don't know, I guess, energy. I think the spirituality of this group fits in well with with your views i think if you were a man you'd you'd enjoy it <laughs> the i think uh brene brown is one of your favorites and i think um clay in this interview quotes brene brown is she she's the one who says standing in your truth with an open heart yeah brene yeah. brown is awesome that's yeah. her yeah clay quotes her so she fits right in i also like marion williamson her book of prayers are just amazing it changed my life in a profound way brought me a lot of peace and clay retired recently which now means that he's busier than he's ever been he's doing all kinds of things while he's in his retirement years and uh it's fun to hear him talk about he talks about a lot of projects that he's working on right now so here's clay boykin enjoy you know, I went to uh, Texas A&M and I got a Marine Corps uh, scholarship there and took a Marine Corps um, commission, and that was in 76. When we were freshmen, they marched us over to the Memorial Student Center and they uh, said, you memorize these lines, and it was an inscription. It was a Bible inscription. It was John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. And that's the heartbeat of A&M. And um, so I went um, into the Marine Corps. I served four years there. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. If a person is looking for a... Um, an example of leadership and leadership from the heart. It's it's there in the in the Marine Corps. You know, in the Marine Corps, they teach us about servant leadership, and uh, that really was really ingrained. Although they never used that term, so leadership begins there. You know, I uh, old gunnery sergeant back in uh, in the Corps. Well, when I first checked in as a second lieutenant, and I said, look, Gunny, what can I do to help clear things out in front of you, from in front of you, so that you can, you know, do your job? He'd pull me over to the side sometimes when I was heading off a direction, and he'd say, Lieutenant, don't do that. <laughs> and he'd kind of keep me on the straight and narrow, and I'd support him. got out and uh, got into the corporate world that spilled over and you know I brought that into into Motorola I have supervisors and you know um, lead production operators and I didn't know about semiconductors I didn't know about test floor or anything like that so I really had to rely on them and so it was the same principle what can I do to help you do your job you know, clear the stuff out of in front of you so that you can come through and be successful. 
Today, I would say that, you know, I brought heart and spirit into the organization. But back then, you know, we called it leadership. And I thought about it as servant leadership. Motorola had, had gone through a quarter where it had lost money, the whole corporation, because of the downturn in DRAM prices. Well, it was a $250 or $60 million organization. I got there mid-year, and we ended up at $300 million. And so it was time for forecast. I'm the marketing director. And I said, well, I've done an analysis, and based on this chart of numbers here, I just want to grow the business wisely. Just add $100 million a year to it, and that'll be, that'd be good. But, you know, I've done a little bit more study, and I think we could really do 460. So let's forecast 460, but let's budget on 400. They said, well, that's fine. What are these numbers? I said, well, it's funny you should ask. I was looking at the Austin American Statesman this last weekend, and there was a chart in there. And I found a correlation between that chart and the trends in that chart and our business. And so I'm using that as a guide. Well, what was that chart? Well, it turns out it was the history of rainfall for Austin, Texas, by month for the last 10 years. Well, you could hear a pin drop. You know, what? And this really happened. Well, the point being is nobody can forecast. And you can't forecast DRAMs. Sales guys were like, if you're what Boykin did, forecasting on rainfall? During the year, the sector president would come, poke his head in the door and say, how's the rainfall forecast going? Now, here we are in the semiconductor industry. High tech. And it was fun. You know, there's so much stress. You know, and we had this crazy vision that we were going to forecast our business based on for, on rainfall. It was crazy, you know, but it was something to rally around. Well, we missed the forecast. We did $461 million. We beat it by a million dollars. Now think about that. A volatile market goes up and down and bingo. You hit the, hit the number. Now, how do you do that? It's not by anal analyzing things. It's by people putting their heart into something. People seeing something greater than themselves. You know, being part of a bigger picture. You know, and getting some good energy out of it. People notice that. People engaged with that. People felt connected. You know, and... Uh, and to notice that and to bring that out in, within a group of people, within an organization, is to connect on a deeper level and aim at something greater than yourself. You know, that's the formula of success from my standpoint. About uh, three years later, the organization was uh, about $750 million. So. Fast forward, I left Motorola after 22 years. I went with a couple of startup companies. I ran one uh, here in Austin for about three years. And um, then I was in, with one that was in based in New York City. But I was running pretty fast and hard. I was pretty worn out. Uh, in 07, uh, we took some vacation with Laurie's family to Jamaica. And uh, while I was there, you know, I like to get off in, into the woods by myself and just enjoy the peace that's, uh, that's there. And I have my little Swiss Army knife and I would make things, you know, just using whatever's out there. And I started to realize that I was really not feeling well, that, um, you know, I was having symptoms that I thought were heart attack symptoms. But they would come and go. As long as I was calm, I was fine. But if I exerted myself, I would start feeling really bad. And uh, I thought about going to the doctor, but then I thought, mm, we're in Jamaica. I don't know that I'd really want to do that. Um, so I just stayed calm. And I also contemplated that really this is, these are heart attack symptoms. And 
you know, this really could be it. And then I'd continue to work on my crafts. I don't know what it was, but I went into an incredible peace during that time. You know, I was leaning against the veil, as they say. You know, part of it was, um, gee, there's a lot I don't have to worry about anymore. <laughs> but the other was just, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard to put words to it. And, you know, there was almost a mystical experience things that happened there and, uh, before we came home and well sure enough 24 hours after we got back to Austin at a quintuple bypass you know I had three months of convalescing and so I had a lot of time out on the patio you know reflecting on that and asking the questions you know who am I why am I here and where am I going and uh, had a lot of confusion about that point. Because, you know, we guys, that's what we're taught to do. We're, we're taught to you know, go to school, get out, you know, climb the corporate ladder, you know, so that someday you can retire and do what you wanted to do in the first place. Well, that sets up a real anxiety. You know, I'm always looking over my shoulder as I'm climbing the corporate ladder, and that's, that's a way to trip up. And so I was reflecting on all that. Well... I went home. The market was crashing. A few days after I got home, I got laid off. First time since I was 16 that I wasn't earning a paycheck in some way, shape, or form. And uh, I panicked. I really did. And began working desperately to get work. I barely got an interview for two years. And it took me down hard. You know, I was just questioning my worth in the world. And um, goodness, you know, I was, you know, deep depression, uh, extended, eventually hospitalized. So coming out of the hospital, you know, I thought, okay, maybe it's time to go get back into church or something like that. And and so I I would go down to uh, to church downtown on Sunday for eight o'clock service, and I'd run up to the um, uh, Unity Church for nine thirty service. Then I'd head across town to the Austin Recovery Center for an Episcopal service over there. And I called that chirping, you know. And uh, I remember specifically, it was about 9.20 in the morning, January 3rd, 2010. I walked into the Unity Church for the first time. And if you've ever talked to anybody that goes to a Unity Church and they're talking about their congregation, say when we walk in, we feel total love, total embrace, no judgment. And for me, I felt like the prodigal son, you know, and it really, really touched me. Well, I remember early on, I'd sit in the, in the pew talking about making notes and mind mapping everything. And, you know, I'd cry, you know, you know there'd be tears, you know, something Reverend Steve said that really stuck, you know, struck deep. But you know, one day, <laughs> one day he uh, he was talking, and, and I don't remember the the overall talk. But but at one point he said, "Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to build a condo there." <laughs> and I slapped my forehead. I thought, "Oh, I have choice. I can choose to move away from this victim mode." I can choose to do something different, you know, take a different path. It's well within my power to do it, you know. You know, I was 54 learning that lesson. You know, after I'd been there for about a year, Reverend Donna came up to me and she said, you know, I think you'd make a good prayer chaplain. 
and my, you know, I got this big old lump in my throat. And I said, well, that scares the heck out of me. And so I guess I'm supposed to say yes. And I did. I became a prayer chaplain there. And I'd make hospital visits periodically, which I never was comfortable with earlier. You know, what do you say to the person? You know, what is there to say? Well, I'll tell you what you say. Nothing. You just show up, you know. And uh, the right thing will come. And it'll come from the heart. But more than anything, it's just the presence, sincere presence, you know, to, to stand there and, and basically, I see you, you know, to, to be their witness that, that they are going through something. At a certain level, that's healing in itself. Those are the experiences that, and the opportunities to really connect on a heart level that, uh, that I found over at the Unity Church and being a prayer chaplain. guys there were only like three or four of us out of 30 prayer chaplains you know three or four guys and we started getting together you know say okay well what does holding space really mean what is prayer really about you know how do we show up how do we make hospital visits and so we decided to meet every week and talk about it and it was a very formative time for me because I grew up not trusting men. And so I was beginning to step into being, you know, it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay to speak. And I look around the foyer after service and all these men are out there and they're not talking to anybody. And I said, well, if I have this feeling and this drive and this curiosity and I'm afraid to talk to another man. I bet you there's another guy out there that's like that, or maybe there's a few of them. So in one sense, it was self-serving. I said, I'm starting a men's circle. I'm gonna do it once a week, because that's what I need. I don't care if anybody shows up. I'm putting the word out, and I'm gonna be there. And, uh, you know, set a drumbeat. I'm gonna show up. And I did, and we had 12 guys show up. And uh, so we started there, and we've been gathering every week for seven years. And we may take off a week or two, you know, during the year, but that drumbeat's there. And we've got a different mix of guys every Monday night. We'll have, you know, 18 to 20. We had 37 some one time this last year. And it's so fascinating how we figured out how to set a container that's safe, where people, men can step away from everything that's going on out there and they can sit with other men. And that's really the essence. And I'm not teaching anything, I'm, I'm facilitating. And uh, it's interesting to, to watch the dynamic, especially when trust is built that a man can speak his heart and nobody's going to try and judge him. Nobody's going to try and fix him. But he's going to be heard by other men and accepted for where he is in life. Where can you go and do that? This is the one place for me where I can safely do that. And uh, and that's another thing. I... At the very beginning, I would say, you know, I want to make sure everybody has an opportunity to speak. So I'd go around and make sure everybody had spoken. And, uh, and then I pulled away from that because there are guys that are coming in there and they're wounded. And it's enough for them to be in a circle of men. That's a big step. And then just to listen and hear the experiences of other men. And they will assimilate themselves. And at some point, they'll say something. 
So that's sacred time. I, I can almost see the wheels turning when somebody is silent in there and, uh, and to hold space for somebody because they're on their path, you know, and there'll be a time when they share more times than not somebody that's been silent for a long time. I mean, weeks and weeks. First time they share is incredibly profound. And we all come out better for that. Here's an interesting fact. Last year, 49.4% of the people who went to that website were women. And I was talking out in Bastrop, Texas, around a table at a luncheon that I was at, and pointed that out. And, and this woman, or they, they said, well, why is that? And I said, well, the most obvious is that their women are looking for a resource for their man. woman sitting next to me very seriously looked at me. She said, Clay, I've been following your website for a long time now, and let me tell you why. I'm a man in a woman's body. Where do I go? Where do I go to figure this out? And, you know, I knew intellectually but to look into her eyes and see the pain and to hear those words was very sobering to me and reminded me that we have no idea of how far our ripples go. You know, and if we're putting good energy out there, you have no idea of all the good we're doing in the world. On the website, I also point out that it's anybody who gender identifies as male. And that's the other thing is I don't ask anybody to commit. You know, guys will come up to me and say, you know, I've been going and stuff, but a few months ago I kind of got sidetracked and business and life and stuff. And, you know, I really need to commit to come back. And I said, no, 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 no. No, 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 don't set yourself up for failure. You know, you've got enough commitments in your life. You don't need another thing that you're going to beat yourself up for when you don't show up. Set an intention. You know, set an intention. My intention is to be there. And I'll be there, it turns out, when the time is right. That's how it plays out. You know, it gives much more latitude because there's so much going on in life. You know, this is a place to relax and go within. You know, it's a contemplative circle. And uh, we can be pretty shallow at times, you know. We pride ourselves on being shallow at times. <laughs> but we can go really deep as well. to the job side of things I had resumes everywhere and I got this phone call and it was a young fella at Office Max and he said you know Clay you've got a resume as long as my arm what are you doing applying for a nine dollar job part-time at Office Max and I said I just got to reconnect I just got to reconnect with people and this was right after I'd started going to the Unity Church and uh, he said, come talk to me. So I did. And he said, you're not going to be here long, are you? And I said, no, but I'm going to be your best employee that you've ever had. You see, I've got to reconnect with people. I have to have that energy, that interaction. And uh, so he hired me. So I went from, you know, the top of the Empire State Building, you know, at the top, metaphorically, and my next job was $9 an hour part-time. But that $9 an hour job was so enjoyable to observe myself learning again and observe myself connecting again and just the, the energy, you know, um, made a huge difference. And then about six weeks later, uh, an old Marine Corps buddy, you know, heard of my circumstance and and he uh, called me up and said, let's have coffee. And uh, 
So we did. And he described what the position was, and I said, I'll take it. So I eventually became general manager of that company and uh, then moved on, did some business development work. And then this past October, I decided that, you know, reflecting back on Jamaica, sitting in the woods, at the end of my life, doing my arts and crafts, doing something creative and being at total peace. That's what I was doing at the end of my life. Well, what's to say that today is not the end of my life? And am I doing what's mine to do? Am I on purpose? And it was at that point I got home and I said to Laurie, he says, you know, I've been doing this for 42 years. I'm tired. It's time to change. If I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? And so the 1st of October, you know, just a few months after my book came out, um, I left the business world. When I was a kid, I was would catch birds with a box and a stick and a string. I caught one one time and, you know, I had it in my hands you know, clasped down and I could feel its wings fluttering in my hands. And uh, mother said, you know, what do you got there? And dad said, you know, let it loose. And I was a little kid and I ran off with it. Well, in the process of running off with it, I didn't realize that I was squeezing down on that bird and I killed it. And that fluttering that was in my hands that I could feel translated up into my gut, that twinge that anxiety you know I felt like it had been transferred into me and and I was filled with you know guilt and shame and you know metaphorically I cra- I, gra- I grasped that anxiety that flutter with my hands and my one hand was guilt and the other was shame and I held it tight and that flutter is the divine energy. And guilt and shame is what I'm holding it in. And you know something, it's stronger than we are and it's gonna come out one way or the other. So when I can turn loose, open my hands up, turn loose to that guilt and shame, that divine energy, that light, you know, can integrate with us. So yeah, so October 1st, I said, okay, you know, and I said it in my book, I'm committing the next 20 years of my life to men's work. And I mean it, you know, I put it in print. I guess, you know, I guess I need to do it. Well, a couple of weeks after that, mid-October, a woman called me up and said, let's have coffee. And so we did. Turns out that she was the... Uh, local director for Charter for Compassion, Karen Armstrong's organization. And uh, she, she and I talked and she said, you know, Clay, you really ought to go up to the Parliament of the World's Religions. It's in Toronto, last week of this month. And, uh, and if you decide to go, would you represent me up there? I said, well, yeah, is there any budget? And she said, no. <laughs> so I thought, well, okay, this is another one of those things where this door is opening and I need to walk through it. And I did. Well, Karen Armstrong had an influence on me in, in my book. Just look up Charter for Compassion. And one, sign the charter, saying, I as an individual believe in these principles that, that are about the charter. People think about compassion as being the soft side of things. You know, uh, you know some people say, well, that's you know, the bleeding hearts club. You know, it's anything but that. You know, I, I say uh, you know, compassion is not for sissies. Sometimes you have to do hard things. And uh, the president of the charter says uh, that 
A compassionate city is an uncomfortable city because they are leaning into the norms to affect change. And that's uncomfortable at times. So I set my intention to meet Karen Armstrong and uh, give her a book. And there she is. And to get my picture with her holding my book, you know, it's pretty cool. But I also had looked and I said, I want to meet the, uh, the board chair for the charter. And I kind of ferreted out where he was and I went and talked to him and I shared with him what we were doing with our men's circle. And uh, I pointed out to him and said, you know, I'm just looking around here at the, at the parliament. Like I said, 10,000 people, 80 religious traditions, countless sessions that are going on. Do you realize that there's not one session on men? He said, my goodness, isn't that something? I said, yeah, and furthermore, the Charter for Compassion has got 12, they call them sectors, their initiatives. And the last one, they're in alphabetical order, the last one I saw on the website was women and girls. Where's the men and boys? He said, my vision for the Charter is that there be a men and boys. Well, I said just men. And he said, well, if you add boys to that, why don't you write it? And I said, okay, with another door open. No, I'm not going to sit down and write it, but I'm going to create the conversation. You know, He said to me, okay, why don't you introduce yourself to the woman who leads the women and girls sector. And you'll see what she's got going on and um, learn from that. And um, that's what we've been doing. And the truth of the matter is that in a way, the women and girls sector are giving birth to the men and boys sector. I'm translating, you know, what I'm learning, you know. It's not going to be the same. We have different different things going on within us. We have different issues and stuff. So I'm still up there at the parliament and I run into an organization called uh, Gender Equity and Reconciliation International. In a nutshell, they are about deep healing between men and women. And it's recognizing that both men and women are wounded by the patriarchy and creating a space for women and men to come together and do that deep work. And I spoke with him for just a few minutes and but he said, why don't you, why don't you come out? We've got a, uh, a facilitator's workshop. <laughs> I said, well, you got any budget? He said, no. <laughs> I said, okay. And uh, so I, after the parliament, I flew home, changed clothes, and flew to Seattle. And I spent a week out there. And it was a transformative week for me. And for men and women to come in together, you know, a, a group of 20 or 30, and to go to that level, and to hear each other's wound, to connect on that level. It's, there's an alchemy that happens. It's, you know, and it's, it's eye-opening. You know, it's one thing to generally know, but when, you, when a person really gets down to it and they're sharing that most intimate fear, that wound, you can't walk away and be the same person. It changes you. But this is what is so exciting to me about um, about the gender equity and reconciliation. You know, we're doing our work. We men have got to up our game. We've got to come up here and meet women where they are. And that work is work that men have got to do with men. <laughs> <laughs>
we got to get over this I don't want to be vulnerable business. You know, there's half a dozen different um, models for men's work. You know, and they, they're hybrids and stuff. But you've got the, the Jungian model, you know, king, warrior, magician, lover. You've got Robert Bly, which is mythopoetic. Uh, you've got mass movement. You've got um, neo-pagan, drum beating in the woods. You know, you got the, the traditional, you know, Knights of Columbus. And you've got this integrative reflective. All those models are kind of an outside-in approach, except for the integrative reflective. You know, these are break the man down, get him to his heart, and then grow him from there so he can connect head and heart. What the Circles of Men Project recognizes is that there's a whole population of men out there that are already in their heart. And they've gotten there because something is broken. They've been broken open. They don't need somebody to break them open. They've already been broken open. And they're in shame or they're in fear or they're in guilt. And they don't know where to go. Because they've gone through their recovery program and they're looking for something a little bit higher level. Maybe something a little more positive. And I can speak with my wife deeply. But there's still a level underneath that that I just she doesn't have a frame of reference to connect. So I need to go to another man. But we're raised, don't trust other men. Don't show your underbelly. So where do I go? So if we can create a circle of men where we can begin to open those hands up, connect with one another, then we can do our work. That will enable us to then be ready to move into something like gender equity and reconciliation. Now, that's not to say I don't, you know, I don't agree with those other models. I do. Matter of fact, I'm in conversation with the board chair for the Mankind Project. Mankind Project is a big one, okay? And it's about rites of passage, and it's about breaking, I'm, I'm, I want to say it's productively, but it's opening the, the man to examine himself, okay? But it's coming in from a different frame of reference. Absolutely valuable. And the Mankind Project is also connected to gender equity and reconciliation. And it turns out that one of the women who is a trainer for the Gender Equity and Reconciliation Organization is from Kenya. And uh, she said, oh, why don't you fly down to Kenya, you know, and do some work here, do a, a men's retreat down here. And I was going to do that, but um, a rocket attack on a hotel in Nairobi kind of shut things down. State Department said, don't go. But tomorrow, tomorrow at this time, I'll be on my way to Kenya. I'll be running a young men's retreat. It'd be a three-day retreat. The first evening, at least, is going to be one question. What is it to be a man in Kenya? You know, who am I, this Western white male, to come over there and think I've got the answer? You know, you guys got to teach me first. You know, help me, assimilate me in, so that I can take my wisdom and share it not teach it, but share it after we've built trust, after you've heard my story, you know, after you've seen me open and share, you know, stand in my truth with an open heart. It'd be 30 or 40 young folks. And I've got two gentlemen uh, that are there, you know, from Kenya who are my co-facilitators. I'm just thrilled with the opportunity. So things like that are unfolding and unfolding and unfolding. Every day something's unfolding. And you know, this whole idea that, you know, once one is committed to one's path, then and they're in line and they're on purpose, 
you know, that providence moves, the divine will of God moves. Well, let me tell you, that's not a metaphor. I'm learning that every day. The next thing happens, the next thing happens, the next thing happens. And I've got more uncertainty financially now than I've ever had. And I'm more at peace than I've ever been because I'm on purpose. So in years past, I'd be a bucket of nerves right now. You know, I've got to get my PowerPoint slides. I got to get this thing all nailed down before I go and I got to go blah, blah, blah. Well, no, show up. And it's how I show up and recognize that so much of life cannot be scripted. It's all about showing up. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be doing that. After that, let's see. Um, I come back and a few days later, I go up to uh, Baldwin City, Kansas. And uh, there's a men's retreat there that I'll participate in. And then I come back from there. I go to Houston and uh, the uh, Unity of Houston has invited me down to work with their team to give them a workshop on doing a men's circle. And they had some budget to, you know, to spend on that. Somebody so, finally said, yes, there's a budget. Yeah, all <laughs> this has been out of my own pocket. You know? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I do that. I get back from that. First couple of days of October, I fly to Atlanta and get picked up there to go to North Carolina to do another Unity retreat. And come back from there, have a little bit of a break. And then October 16th is the um, an alchemy event in Seattle where the woman who heads up the women and girls sector and me and a group of people um, are coming together to put on a day-long event. And uh, there'll be, you know, men coming and using circle principles to get a sense of what it feels like to speak on a heart level with other men. Women running in circles, you know, doing the same work. And then in the afternoon, we'll come together and have a, a mini taster, they call it. it. They'll get a taste of what the gender equity and reconciliation work is all about. There will be, we're anticipating about 300 people to be at that. So it's blossoming. In May, I was invited to join the Gender Equity and Reconciliation team at the United Nations. And we put on a workshop for the Committee on Spirituality, Values, and Global Concerns. The first you know, step into the United Nations. And what an incredible experience that was to be be part of that um women men and women from all over the world and you know the common theme is it's a patriarchy system around the whole world and it's wounded the whole world and uh to make to be in that immersed in that with the united nations of all places you know again i would have never dreamed that and to make that, you know, just those few days, you know, it moved the needle just a little bit. I go back to servant leadership to create an inspired vision, to model the way, to enable others to act, to encourage the heart. That's, you know, to set a vision of, for something greater than yourself. It's connecting at the heart level with another person, connecting on a level of compassion, bringing that good energy into the environment. And it's, that's not la-la land. I mean, it's the real deal. Why not connect at a deeper level? You know, I spent my career chasing a paycheck, you know, and had my chest cracked open and was reminded that there's a little bit more to life. And, um, 
look at the stark difference that I'm witnessing within myself since the 1st of October. I am connected to something greater than myself and I've got a passion for it. And it's helping me heal along my path. And I'm trusting that the to make it sustainable that the that the funding will be there, the the part-time consulting work will happen. And uh but I'm not focusing on getting this job or getting that job. I'm aiming at something higher. Well, it's good to know that you're, you know, have really slowed down for retirement, having a nice relaxing time. <laughs> yeah. Sitting, sitting on a beach. <laughs> yeah. You are uh, you're a busy man and I really appreciate that you committed the time to me and my little project. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. I really do. And I want to thank you too. Well, good. Are we complete? That was Clay Boykin talking about all the things he's got going on since he retired. He mentions a few times, he mentions his book. His book is Circles of Men, a counterintuitive approach to creating men's groups, supporting men in finding greater meaning and purpose in their lives. And you can find that on Amazon. Uh, He's doing a lot of work to um, start new men's circles around the country and around the world. Um, He mentioned Kenya. He's also been in Orlando and in Kansas. And uh, if you're interested in starting a men's group, that book is very helpful. You can also find it on his website, which is clayboykin.com. C-L-A-Y-B-O-Y-K-I-N. Some of his other projects, the Circles of Men Project. You can find that, circlesofmenproject.com. He's also in facilitator training for gender equity and reconciliation you can find more about them at genderreconciliationinternational.org. And he talked about Karen Armstrong's organization, Charter for Compassion. You can find that at charterforcompassion.org. That's pretty cool, you know, taking the men's group um, internationally to Africa. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Thank you very much, Clay, for all the time that you spent with me. Good luck. Clay, and I hope this uh, project of yours, the Circles of Men, actually do spread throughout this country and beyond. I think it'll be awesome opportunity for a space for men to open up by their emotions, be vulnerable, and it'll change the world. See you next time. Bye. Start again. Start again. Begin. Is that what she says? Start again. Everyone. That's all I know. (laughs) Merry Christmas.